Walking distance is supported by Gossamer Gear. So there I was at Kit Lake on Avalanche Divide in the Grand Tetons. The wind was up and my Gossamer Gear trekking pole tent, The One, barely moved. At only 17 ounces, The One is bomb-proof with loads of room inside to sit up, store your gear, and stay dry and safe from the bugs. And Gossamer Gear Gorilla 50-liter ultralight backpack is roomy and organized enough for all I need, plus a week's worth of food. From trekking poles to hiking umbrellas, tents and backpacks, Gossamer Gear is some of the highest quality lightweight gear out there. And as a listener of Walking Distance, you can score 15% off your next order at gossamergear.com. Just use the code WALKINGDISTANCE. Gossamer Gear. Take less. Do more. Any vet that's ever been to combat probably has some kind of trauma. So just why don't you take them for a hike and just go for a walk? And that would be a great place. And you don't have to ask them, you know, stupid questions like, did you ever kill anybody or something like that? You don't you don't have to talk about their war trauma. Just take them out there and just show them and remind them of that world. Anyone can do it. From the trek, this is Walking Distance, a show for hikers, trekkers, trampers and wanderers that proves any place worth seeing can be reached by walking there, and that it's even better when you carry all you need in a backpack. I'm Blissful Hiker. Cindy Ross is one of those superwomen, a triple crowner, a writer, an artist, and a speaker. She published her first book 30 years ago, A Woman's Journey on the Appalachian Trail, to tell the story of her solo hike in word and art, and it's still in print. Her sixth book, Scraping Heaven, A Family's Journey Along the Continental Divide, introduced us to her family, hiking, homeschooling, using llamas to carry their children, and finally mountain biking the CDT. Living in a hand-built log cabin in a stunning patch of Pennsylvania forest, Cindy and Todd have long been supporters of Appalachian Trail hikers, and most recently of combat veterans searching for ways to manage post-deployment depression and trauma through hiking and time spent in the natural world. Her latest book is called Walking Towards Peace, and it highlights intimate stories of 25 of those men and women and their journeys towards healing. It all started a bit by accident, when she was asked by Pennsylvania Magazine to write a story about a group of veterans hiking the AT as a form of therapy. So when we found out about these hikers, it's like, okay, well, we don't run the hostel, but we're only five miles away. We'll pick them up and bring them home and have dinner and maybe um, they'll share a story or two. And it was such an amazing event. You know, we all held hands before we had our meal and said a little prayer. And I just asked them for a story about the trail and about their time in the military. And um, they just unloaded stories that... I mean, everyone, they were crying, everyone was crying, and it just, you know, went on for the whole evening. And so we decided to slack pack them for four days, and Todd and I took them ahead on the trail and then brought them home, and and it was really hot. It was gross out in the middle of summer uh, here in in Pennsylvania. You know, the leaves are off the trees and the gypsy moth damage, and so we'd take them swimming in the river every night, had big dinners. And we just fell in love with them to the point where I went up to Maine and, and climbed Mount Katahdin with them and really started to be feel like I was their mom and cared about them. And so the more you, I mean, it's easy to care about these people. 
Well, how did you go about chronicling the stories of these veterans? I had to, Allison, jump through some hoops to get to know them. I mean, this wasn't just like an interview on the phone. I, my one, my one vet, Sean Murphy, I flew to Arizona, met him at a trailhead and hiked into the wilderness where he was working on a ranch and stayed there for a couple of days while he told me stories. And, you know, there's no phone service there. And so we had this predetermined time to meet at this trailhead. (laughs) And I never met him before. Of course, I wasn't nervous or anything. We talked for years, but I had to put some effort into into getting to know them because I wanted to have them trust me. And, And so it was easy for them to trust me, I guess. Yeah. I mean, this is a question I have, is that, that trust would be an issue because part of the culture of combat vets is not to really ask for help. Right. They don't tr- and, and they don't trust civilians. I mean, as a rule, they're, you know, they're not their favorite people, some of them. And, you know, Todd and I are kind of opposite, too, of what a typical military person is like. We're pretty uh, liberal, and I'm sure that's evident in the way we live. But which was which is really has been wonderful in the last couple of years with all the disconnect between groups of people in our country and 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 who who you relate to politically and make decisions that you don't want to be friends with that person anymore you know i mean families have been ripped apart from this but you know sometimes i'll i'll look at some of the vets facebook pages and i'll see how radically different they believe than Todd and I do, but it doesn't matter. We don't talk about politics. Most of the time, we never talk about their war experiences. They might might talk about it with each other when they're hiking, but it's pretty much just being in the moment, being in nature, reminding them that this is their home and they can go there anytime. They don't have to go there with us. I mean, there's a couple of my vets that hiked long distance and then just got in a bad way because of COVID. And and a lot of them were having a lot of trouble around Christmas. And then my book came out and they read their story and they read everyone else's story. And it's like, oh yeah, I forgot that that's my, that's my happy place. It's like you you hike 5,000 miles. You don't realize you can go out for a day hike and you'll still get the benefits of being in nature. So they all you know, this whole group of them that were struggling kind of came back around, said, you know, I can go out on weekends and that's going to be have to be enough. And 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 it is. You know, you introduce several ideas in the book, like the one from Dr. Michael Merzenich, I think I'm pronouncing his name correctly, about this kind of hyper engagement that we get when walking trails in particular. I mean, the changing surroundings, the uneven terrain. Yeah, I found that really interesting, too, Allison. I, you know, I, I learned a lot. I, I mean, it wasn't like I knew all that stuff when I was writing the book. We have this one vet who was in the hospital for eight years. Um, when he got out of the military, he, he, besides his war trauma, he had a really bad motorcycle accident. And, and, and I got to be close to them soon after he got out of his last hospital. And we just kind of like took him under our wing and he became like our, our surrogate son. And we tried really hard to have not just hiking experiences, but just all kinds of experiences. You know, we put him in our sauna and we we went, took him snowmobile riding in the snow and just all kinds of things. And then my psychologist friend who helped me with my book, 
showed to me that we were actually creating new brain patterns and he was growing his brain back and the passageways were connecting differently and more than they they were before so that we were actually healing his brain by taking him and, and bringing more experiences into his life, especially ones in nature. You know, you, you do things in your life because they make you feel happy and good, but to have the background and the knowledge and the, and the research to explain what is actually happening and changing in your mind while you're out there just proves that this is the best thing. Yeah. In Walking Towards Peace, you introduce us one by one to these amazing people who are using the trails and, and using other things like paddling to heal and to move on. And one person is Earl Schaefer. I mean, the first person to through hike the AT and someone who made mindfulness kind of a thing before it was a thing. And one thing you talk about that I found really interesting is that, yes, you go out there, you know, to heal, but you go out there to accept the past and what has happened, not so much to forget. Well, you know, they never forget. My one vet, Gabe Vasquez, he had started a nonprofit called Crossing America for Injured Vets, and he did all the Triple Crown trails. He's cycling across uh, America three different ways, and he's paddling three rivers source to the Gulf. And and he's done, I don't know, like 28,000 miles to this point. And, and he relives his trauma almost every night, every day as he's walking. And he he isn't trying to forget. He's trying to forgive himself, and he's trying to just let it go and say, I did the best job I could under the circumstances. And every time he goes out there, he gains about 5% more happiness and and who he used to be. And they never expect to get back to 100%, but they're hoping to improve, and they all do. Um, every time they go out there. I also found Eileen Henderson's story really interesting because... Oh, she's a hoot. Yeah, I mean, she <laughs> actually... It wasn't so much that she needed to get away from her combat experience. She kind of needed to recreate that sense of belonging, that sense of being focused and purposeful. And I found that really surprising that she needed to use the trail to feel like she had some some reason to be. Yeah, yeah. And actually, they all have that issue, as do all through hikers, is trying to figure out their life after they either come back from combat or they come back from a long hike. They have to find purpose and um, some reason for living because a lot of the veterans that have had trauma and and have PTSD or any kind of injury are on disability and and can get a sizable amount of money to live. And so a lot of them don't have to work or can't work. So they don't need to be busy uh, doing a job, but they do need to be busy and have some kind of value and worth. And so that's always been a challenge um, for when they come back from from, from the war and from the trail. The one vet that the book is dedicated to, Zach Adamson, he hiked the Appalachian Trail and then he committed suicide. And he he didn't quite navigate that transition, didn't gift himself enough time to try to figure it out because it does take some time. Yeah, I know I've quoted you about the puzzle piece not fitting when you come back because I've done two through hikes 
and you do feel very strange coming home, as though everything else has stayed the same, but you've changed. We remedy that by we're not allowed to come home until the next adventure is planned, even if it's short. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I already knew this, but you also bring up this idea that nature instills awe in us in a manner that disallows arrogance and entitlement, um, maybe even narcissism. Well, do you think that that kind of awe helps vets, too, who are suffering from PTSD or just, you know, from guilt, oh, survivor's absolutely, guilt? Absolutely. They don't have the, they don't have the problem of, of arrogance, but they can live in their heads even more so than, than other hikers because there is so much going on in their heads because they've had all these ex- life experiences. There's a wonderful quote from Annie Dillard who wrote Pilgrim at Tinker Creek, and I'm paraphrasing it, but I, I like to think about this sometimes. And it's like, because sometimes you'll go out there and, and something will happen or you'll see something or, I mean, like I could go up at Hawk Mountain and all of a sudden I'll see uh, a doe and two baby fawns are like whacking her on, on her abdomen, trying to get her milk to drop to nurse. And it's like, this is really intimate. This is, this is a moment of magic. And, and like Annie Dillard writes, like there is, there is magic everywhere in the natural world. And the least we can do is show up for it and, and be there and witness it and realize what, what a privilege and a gift it is to just see what we saw or, you know, even a rainbow. It, it doesn't have to be a, a big deal. It could just be something small that, that is happening whether we're standing there and observing it or not. And that's the kind of thing that invokes awe and and gratitude that you're there. How have the vets changed you and changed kind of your attitude towards nature and towards trails? Well, you know, it's funny, Allison. We'll, we'll We'll have these hikes. We'll go out for like two hours. We'll come back to our property, which is gorgeous, and have these campfire dinners and often that we'll go around the campfire and ask them how they feel from what they just experienced, which to me isn't a big deal because I do this every day. You know, we never eat at inside as, as long as we can, the weather's good. So even eating outside and having a campfire is just normal life for Todd and I, and, and when the kids are growing up and I walk every hike every day. So, so to hear them say that this was the best day of their lives or <laughs> yeah or oh my god I need to t- I need to take my kids and do this or I haven't been in an inner tube for 50 years on a river and I forgot how much fun it was you know these Vietnam vets that are in their 70s and I just and you know and 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 they're always someone is always crying as they share how intense this is and over and over and again, you know, Todd and I will say to each other afterwards, wow, it doesn't feel like we're doing that much, but, but clearly we are. And I've had vets come back to me like five years later and say that one hike when I was in rehab, cause we often work with a, with a rec therapist at the local VA hospitals and they bring guys that are in rehab programs. So they're kind of fresh and open to making better decisions and change in their lives. And it's just amazing that it doesn't feel to us like it's that big of a deal, but it's huge to them. So then we just haven't gotten over the fact that it doesn't take that much to make a difference in someone's life. Well, Cindy Ross, thank you so much for talking with us about Walking Towards Peace. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Allison. It was nice to meet you. I'm sorry I'm not going to meet you on the trail, but if you ever get to the AT, we'll pick you up and bring you home. 
Right after I got off our Zoom call, Cindy Ross and her husband Todd Gladfelter were on their way with 11 veterans to hike up the trail from their log cabin in Pennsylvania to the AT and back. They run a nonprofit called Riverhouse PA that takes veterans outdoors to manage their PTSD and other debilitating mental health issues that plague returning soldiers. Her new book, Walking Toward Peace, with stunning illustrations by her son Bryce, highlights 25 of these amazing individuals sharing their stories in an intimate and honest way. We see ourselves in their imperfect struggles, and that helps us find a way to offer a hand if we can. You know, they're they're like us, and, and they want us to accept them. And some big guys, you know, like three-star, four-star generals read it and said, well, you're not making them look like heroes, and that's a very good thing because they're just human beings. That's what I wanted to do, is to not, not create disconnect, but to, to create connection so that we can all help them get better and, and understand what they've gone through. Um, and maybe maybe not have to make our young men and women go through it again in another war. When we come back, we'll meet one of those vets who took his own journey towards peace by walking. He's another triple crowner named Travis Johnston. I'm Blissful Hiker, and this is Walking Distance from The Trek. Walking Distance is supported by Garage Grown Gear, your one-stop online shop for ultralight gear from over a hundred small startup and cottage outdoor brands. Everything from quilts and packs to accessories and meals from makers including Catabatic, Lone Star Ultralight, Bear Vault, Enlightened Equipment, Nomad Nutrition, Six Moon Designs, Goosefeet Gear, and one of my faves, Kula Cloth. They offer free shipping for orders over $20. And here's a really cool deal. First-time customers get 10% off using the code DISTANCE10. That's 10% off your first order using the code DISTANCE10. Support the little dudes, shop intentionally, and get 10% off at garagegrowngear.com. This is Walking Distance. I'm Blissful Hiker. When I contacted Travis Johnston for an interview... He was on his way with a buddy to kayak out to a barrier island in the Atlantic Ocean near Savannah, Georgia, to camp on the beach and watch the stars. This simple pleasure and powerful tonic of going into nature was totally foreign to Travis back when he served as an army ranger in Afghanistan. That life was hard-charging, adrenaline-pumping, and constantly stimulating. Hiking was not ever something he would consider— In fact, he thought it was a bit ridiculous, until his good friend and fellow ranger Zach Adamson walked the Appalachian Trail. Zach Adamson was my AG, which is uh, assistant gunner. At the time, I was the senior machine gun team leader for my platoon in 1st Range Battalion. We were an alpha company. Zach trained with me and deployed with me to Afghanistan, and he and I established and developed a very close and tight-knit relationship. Um, When he got out, he decided to go and hike the Appalachian Trail. That was something that he and a a guy that we lost uh, on that deployment in Afghanistan, his name was Eric Hario, he and uh, another excellent man named Jason Dalkey both lost their lives on um, a mission um, called objective Berlin and uh, something that he and Eric Hario had talked about doing was getting out of the military and hiking from Georgia to Maine on the Appalachian Trail. Uh, Zach 
stayed true to that. He went out and he did it. And at that time I was going to school and I was working in Savannah and, you know, he would call me periodically throughout the trail. And he's like, man, this is something really, really awesome. I really think you should come out here and do this. I, it, it's doing a lot for me. And at the time, admittedly, I was like, there's absolutely no way I'm going to do something like that. It does not sound fun to me at all. <laughs> An absolute, I, yeah, I mean, it just like, it was like a total waste of time. And sadly enough, I guess, you know, from my perspective then, I was like, you know, you know, it's kind of a shitbag thing to do. You're just like going off and walking in the woods. I don't see anything, you know, constructive coming from that at all. And I wish I, uh, I wish I had listened to him a little more um, about that, but I didn't, I, you know, my mind was too closed on that. And at the time I was pretty sick myself. After that, he had finished the, uh, Appalachian trail. He'd gone home to Ohio. And I think that, uh, you know, not just coming off the mental dump of leaving range battalion and special operations, but also that of the end of a through hike. I think that, you know, he probably hit the, uh, bottom of a life Valley that was, maybe just a little too much for him to handle. I don't, I, I still to this day can't quite wrap my head around him um, doing what he did. But uh, in January of 2014, I got a phone call um, from his best friend who I was also in range battalion with named Sean Riley. He's another guy in the book. Um, he told me that Zach had died that he'd killed himself. And so a day or two later, I was on my way to Ohio for the funeral with a couple other rangers and while we were there uh, we met several people that he had hiked the uh, AT with and I gotta tell you that's a there's a big cultural gap between a group of guys from a special operations unit and a couple of folks who knowingly and willingly and voluntarily hiked uh, from Georgia to Maine. <laughs> In what ways? Golly I mean you know you got a couple of uh, aggressive alpha male type guys, you know, and, uh, you know, we're, I don't want to say violent by nature, but we were, you know, we were trained and we developed our violence, you know, very acutely because that was what we were, what we were doing. And, um, you know, when you're talking to somebody who is, you know, hugging trees all day long for six months, it's a kind of a hard cultural gap to bridge, you know, at least at that point it was for me. But uh, I'll be damned if they weren't just some of the happiest people that I had met. And they had just some of the craziest and most wonderful stories about Zach. And I call him Shady. Um, that was his trail name. Um, and it just, I don't know, it spoke to me. Something about it spoke to me. I ended up going back to Jacksonville where I had lived for a little bit. And things just didn't feel quite right uh, after his funeral. So would you say it was the people that you met that uh, convinced you to to hike the Appalachian Trail yourself? Or was it more Zach's experience that you remember yeah. and in his honor? It was really like a conglomerate of all of those things. You know, I felt like there absolutely needed to be something more done for, for Zach. You know, it was just kind of this really whirlwind of things that took place. And I get it now. So I am much more... You know, it t I took it hard then, but, you know, this last August, my only sibling and my younger brother, um, who's a veteran as well, decided to commit suicide. Oh, no, I'm so sorry. Oh, yeah, gosh. awful. And it's just one of those things where I felt close to it through Zach and 
Um, I even had to call his parents up who I try and stay in touch with as much as possible um, and tell them, you know, I, I, I've, you know, I was close with Zach. I understood him and I, I felt this and it changed my life. But um, really, it was almost embarrassing for me to think about how much I didn't really understand what they were going through until I went through it myself. Uh, but at the time, you know, for Zach, I felt, you know, something more needs to be done. He was a really special guy. Very, very special guy. He, I mean, literally just brought light to every room he walked into. Smile on his face, always joking, just such a wonderful human being. And there's not a person that I know who didn't just love the hell out of the guy. I, really. You describe him as not practicing leave no trace because he shared his spirit and it was everywhere on the trail. He was meant to walk that trail and and, and leave no trace. He did a poor, poor job of that. Now, <laughs> as far as as far as trash and fires, I think he probably did all right. But uh, when it came to making an impact on everybody that he met, he, he absolutely did. Um, he absolutely did. And I think that that's really special. Well, you're now a triple crowner. And of course, you've hiked a lot of other long distance hikes as well as the, the three National Scenic Trails here in the United States. Um, what do you think is unique about backpacking that invites, I mean, first of all, invites you to want to continue backpacking, but invites healing? You know, um, there's so much to it for me, and I think it's different for everyone. Slowing down, calming your mind, removing yourself from a lot of these, you know, created problems that we deal with when we live in this quote unquote real world. You know, when you break your life down to a simplicity of just figuring out the next place that you're going to get water and finding a nice flat spot to lay your head down and stopping when you want to just enjoy a view and soak beauty in um, being outside, getting the fresh air, getting the sunlight all of that, um, it, it changes your brain chemistry. I mean, there's studies that have been done on this. I think Cindy talks about the way that it's, it actively fights depression, being out there and exercising, filling your body with these hormones and these chemicals that occur naturally when you're hiking and out in sunshine and around nature. It's just, it's a beautiful thing. And for me, it allowed me to slow down, calm down, view things uh, in the present alleviate my anxiety and give me something to work towards as well, which for someone like me is incredibly important. I need a goal. I need something to look at and say, okay, this is where I'm trying to go and this is what I'm trying to do. And that sense of accomplishment that I got every day from reaching a certain mile marker or getting up a particular climb or seeing something that I've always read about but never put my eyes on, it was very rewarding. And um, with all of that, it just, I, I couldn't get enough. I still can't get enough. You know, I find it interesting that you, you know, you mentioned this whole thing of the present moment. I mean, I always think of that on my through hikes, but you also talk about the sense of the future and planning for it and, and really cherishing being alive as you're walking. Did you notice a progression when you went from the Appalachian Trail to, I guess, the Pacific Crest Trail was next and then the CDT? That's a really good way to put things. And I, so yeah, there was absolutely a progression. I mean, I would say the biggest mental strides that I made by far were on my first trail. I mean, it really was just breaking these mental chains that were weighing me down consistently. I mean, I just lived with this constant sense of fear and anxiety prior to the AT that I didn't 
really understand or even believe that I had a future. I really didn't. I was, I know it's kind of cliche for, for some people to say, particularly veterans and stuff, but it's like dead or in jail is like how I viewed my future being. I don't know why, but it was just so dark and I, you know, I just probably wasn't far off considering the way that I was acting at times. But um, hiking the AT really got me around some wonderful, wonderful people that allowed me to open up around them and kind of break down some of those barriers. But then also to, like I said, just drop these chains that I was carrying of stress and anxiety and depression um, that were really, really unnecessary. It gave me the time to think through a lot of things and start down the road of um, forgiveness for myself and some of the things that I had done because that was incredibly hard and something even to this day I still struggle with but uh, I've said it a thousand times I'll say it a thousand more you know when I came down off of Katahdin I didn't feel like I finished the AT I felt like I started the rest of my life going on to those next trails it was significantly different especially having an idea of what I could expect quote-unquote in the sense of, you know, how to do a through hike. The learning curve was significantly less steep. And um, I think in certain ways I enjoyed it more. And, you know, in other ways it was, I don't want to say less exciting, but it, I wasn't constantly experiencing something brand new all the time. The progression was absolutely there, particularly when it came to my backpacking skills. I mean, <laughs> well, you carried over 60 pounds as a ranger. Do I have that correct? So I would assume you're fit. Yeah, to do just it. in my pack. I mean, that's not counting my weapon or <laughs> ammunition or anything. Yeah, we were carrying a lot of a lot of gear. And so when I showed up to Springer Mountain and hung my pack on the scale the very first time, uh, in 2014, it was March 21st. It was Zach's birthday when I decided to start. And I think I weighed it like just over 90 pounds. Oh and the God. guy was like, okay, bud, like, let's pull you aside. Let's just look at what you got in here. And I think before we took off, like they got me down to like just over 70 pounds. And I was like, no problem. I, I can do this. Like a strong ranger mentality. No issue. I got something for everything times three in this backpack. I'm ready to take on the world. And, uh, that was kind of my mentality a lot of the way through that trail. I carried way, way too much stuff. So anybody comes to me now, they're like, you know, what do I need to bring? It's like probably half, if not a quarter of what you think you need to bring. What was the hardest part about it, um, about hiking? I mean, maybe not the physical piece of it, but, but um, I mean, being alone or making friends, trusting people, which, which pieces challenged you? Through part of the AT, particularly in the beginning, you know, I, I had a, a definite sense of arrogance um, that came from being a part of an elite unit and kind of just the way that I was. And that ego really needed to be eroded away that just to make me a better person. And the, the trail did that pretty successfully. And so I don't know if it was like one of the one of the harder things. That's a, that's a tough question, especially looking back now. I, I mean, I, it's those different levels of fun, right? Like there were certain things that I know that at the time I was like, man, this sucks, you know, being wet and uh, uh, you know what? Okay. The hardest part, the hardest part, uh, for me was my AT through hike was not 
really a through hike. Uh, it was just a, a long, like I'm a lasher, long ass section hiker. So that first one, um, I got to the top of Mount Washington and I broke my foot in the whites and I walked to the top of Mount Washington and my foot was like the size of a softball. And I went down into the town that's down there. I can't remember which one it is, New Hampshire and saw the dock and he was like, you're done hiking. And I was like, no, I'm not. And I took a couple of weeks off and went out and tried to hike again, got like 30 miles and it just flared up again and came off again. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to do the hundred mile wilderness and then I'll come back and finish Maine next year. And thankfully Miss Janet was there. If anybody, you know, has hiked the AT, they most certainly have probably heard of Miss Janet. And she was quite the angel for me that, uh, on that trip, she was like, I don't want you doing that. She's like, I'll take you to Katahdin. You can see Katahdin and then you can come back and finish it next year. And she took me there, uh, but I climbed it anyways. So I climbed up Katahdin with my broken foot and came back down. And then the very next year, I went back up Katahdin and hiked from there back to the top of Mount Washington um, to tie it all together. Um, but that was probably the hardest thing was walking away from something that at that point I was so invested in. But knowing that I had at that point understood how in control of my life I was. And that I think was something that I learned from the AT as well is that I got to decide how my life was going to go. It was up to me. I wasn't just floating around. You know what I mean? I wasn't just bobbing along a river of life. I got to decide. And I don't know why that was something that took me until I was 27 years old to figure out, but um, that made all of the difference in the way that I viewed life. Everything I'm doing now is incredibly intentional. If anything was to ever go to total you know, hell in a handbasket again, I could just hop back on trail, but it's not what I'm doing. So, um, I think that walking away that first time, knowing that it was the right thing for me was the hardest part. And then coming back to it and finishing up was really, really rewarding. Did you meet your wife on the PCT? Do I have that correct? Yeah, I did. Tell us about Kaya. I mean, were you ready to meet her? Kaya? Yeah. What a wonderful, wonderful woman. And the answer is absolutely not. Was I ready to meet someone like that? <laughs> I, I had no idea that that was going to happen. I really didn't. Uh, but if I'm looking back and I'm being honest, I mean, I knew I loved her from, from the get go. Um, and she is just one bad ass lady, but also so incredibly kind and wonderful and smart and funny and pure, like I got so lucky. I, I, I don't know. You talked in the beginning about how different when you were at Zach Adamson's funeral, how, how different you felt the Ranger friends were from Zach's friends on the trail. And I wonder if you had any kind of transformation on the trail for yourself that you became more like these tree huggers, I think is the term you used, these, you know, happy people. I definitely did. Yes, I definitely. I am. I love trees. I'm a big fan of trees. Love to hug them now. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I Yes, absolutely. It definitely did. It changed me and for the better. I mean, when you're just inundated daily with just new experiences, I think that's one of those things that like makes through hiking and hiking in general so wonderful or paddling down a river so wonderful it's like it's n it's not repetitive it's not that same drive to work that you're doing every day it's not that same walk down the same hallway um it's you know you're passing new trees you're passing new bushes and even if you're walking that same trail it changes throughout the year whether it's snow on it or the leaves are down or whatever you know i 
became obsessed with like little flowers and stuff. I mean, if I hadn't done the AT, if the, uh, if the PCT was the first trail that I did and I had met my wife there, I don't think that we would have gotten along as well as we did. I needed all of the experiences prior to that point for me to be the person that I think that she was willing to put up with. And even now, I think maybe at times it's still questionable, but uh, we've got it worked out. Well, Travis Johnston, thank you so much for your service and also for really sharing these intimate stories with us. I want to share with you this wonderful affirmation that I learned when I was in New Zealand walking the Te Araroa. It's Maori, and it means to stay strong. It's kiakaha. So I'll say that to you right now. Kiakaha, Travis, and thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you. Thank you so much. Travis Johnston lives with his wife, Kaya, on Wilmington Island, Georgia, and has all sorts of plans for hikes, sailing, scuba diving, basically adventures in his future. You can hear from his voice. He's a happier person. I mean, certainly not without struggles, but with a sense of purpose and direction and wonder of the world we live in. On Memorial Day weekend in 2014, Travis led a hike in memory of Zach Adamson up the beautiful, iconic McAfee Knob on the Appalachian Trail in Virginia. He raised money for a memorial stone that they set near the trailhead, and they celebrated this man's life in a place where he likely found the most peace. They sang songs, shared pictures and stories, and passed around a little bit of whiskey, too. And it was here that Travis told Cindy Ross that he realized he didn't want to lose hope because so many people cared for him and loved him. He wanted to heal and to move forward. Veteran suicide has reached epic proportions, actually outnumbering battle casualties in Iraq and Afghanistan. But Cindy tells me that we as walkers and backpackers can help by simply inviting a vet in need out on the trail to just come and take a walk with us. You can find out more about Riverhouse PA and other organizations that are helping vets like Warrior Expeditions and Outdoor Buddies. I've put a link in the show notes. Also, one of our interns here at Walking Distance, Tina Mullen, read a beautiful in-depth review of Walking Towards Peace at the Trek. I'll drop a link for that in the notes as well. Please do keep in touch and let us know what you're doing. Is walking and hiking a way to help you recover? Do you have any suggestions for our listeners? You can always reach us at walkingdistanceatthetrek.co. Our theme music was composed by Daniel Nass, and thanks so much to Tina Mullen, Jackie Marusiak, and Zach Davis. Thanks again to today's title sponsor, Gossamer Gear, manufacturers of high-quality, lightweight backpacking gear and accessories, and my choice for thru-hiking. You can save 15% on your next order at gossamergear.com. Just use the code word walking distance, all one word, walking distance, and save 15% off your order at gossamergear.com. I'm Blissful Hiker, and you've been listening to Walking Distance from the Track. Mm-hmm.